Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Anybody thankful to be at church this morning? Okay, good. This is a good crowd. Come on, spring break weekend, and we got y'all folks. Come on, all the real Christians in the house. Amen, no condemnation. Anybody else really distracted during worship by watching Jarrett's mullet blow in the wind behind him? That was just, it was majestic. I can't believe that hairstyle came back. Man, so much going on. Woo pig suey, I guess, hey? Okay. Sorry about all your brackets. That was cool. It was cool. It was really cool. I love seeing some of the players and how they responded. Everything was really cool all the way up until the point that Musk took off his shirt. Then it just, uh, just, I just want to let you know it doesn't matter how good church gets today. My shirt is staying on, okay? Like I'm gonna, I might get excited, but I'm going to stay clothed. I'm telling you that right now. We are starting this new series, and it is going to lead all the way up to really the Last Supper, that Good Friday service, and I think it's going to be cool. The table. There's a lot you can learn, I think, by what happens around a table. And, uh, you know, obviously the table can be a place of connection and celebration, uh, but it can also be a place of tension. Anybody ever been around a table when there's been some tension? Like, if you ever had in-laws come in for Thanksgiving, there's probably been some tension before. Okay, I got a witness over here. Man, that hand went high quick. Carefully, you're, stand, you're sitting right next to her. I hope your ribs are okay. Uh, there's definitely been some tension. I, I remember growing up, even in my family, I, I have to admit that I might have been the cause of a little bit of tension here and there because I was a picky eater. Anybody have picky eaters in your house? How many of y'all know there's such a thing as sowing and reaping? Okay, so here's the thing. I was a picky eater, so we got a picky eater. And God's like, all right, now you get to deal with it, big boy. And, but I remember, this is how it was for us, though. Like, when, when I was growing up, if I was a picky eater, and if I didn't want to eat something that was on my plate, this is how it worked in, my house, in, our, in our house growing up. My parents were like, that's fine. That's fine. Cover it up. Put it in the fridge. And you'll have it for breakfast. How I many y'all know? That's the way that went. That's, that's what I, and then if I didn't eat it for breakfast, guess what? It was waiting on me for lunch. <laughs> and so at one point or another, you're really motivated because you're like, this is not getting any better. It's not gonna taste any better the longer it's sitting in the fridge. And so but there was probably a lot more serious elements of tension. Uh, some of us have experienced that. Maybe that's what it's like for you every time you sit down around a table. Maybe, maybe not. Anybody ever been asked to leave a restaurant? Don't raise your hand. It's probably best for you not to admit that. But I, I, I've been kicked out of a restaurant before. Back when I was in college and I was a starving college student. How many of y'all uh, have ever experienced CeCe's Pizza? Anybody in the house, CeCe's Pizza? Okay, it's, it's cardboard with some ingredients on it. It's not, it's not good at all. But they have all-you-can-eat pizza. And so when I was in college, me and a bunch of my college friends went to CeCe's Pizza. I mean, we, you know, surviving on ramen noodles like any good college student does, but got a little extra cash, like all you can eat CeCe's, let's do this thing. But y'all know if you're gonna go and have all you can eat, you're gonna eat like you're not gonna eat for another month. 
And it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna throw down. And we did. We just went and we dominated. And eventually the manager came over and said, I'm gonna have to ask you guys to leave. <laughs> and we're like, why? They're like, because you ate all the pizza and none of the other customers are getting any pizza. I was like, oh, that, that's too bad. And uh, we noticed the next time we went back, of course we went back, even after they asked us to leave, but there was a sign that said, uh, we reserve the right to refuse service to any customer. That was a new sign they put on the door. And I like to take credit for that. I'm really proud of that. I really, I really think that that's awesome. So, but food, eating, all that, being around tables, it's, it's a pretty important part of our lives. All of us, although I do think that it's a place that maybe has lost some of its importance to some of us. It can be a, a, a place of laughter and meaningful connection and conversation. But too often, these days, we just kind of rush through it. A lot of fooding, a lot, a lot of fooding, yes. A lot of eating and food, it turns into fast food, fast meal. We've got things to do, places to go, people to see. And, uh, but really, that is not the way it was intended to be. And it's certainly not the way most cultures handle food. If you travel much, really, the whole idea of fast food, eating fast, it's very much a Western culture thing. And uh, in Latin America and other places around the world, anytime you're eating, it's always a social event. I remember many years ago being down in Mexico on a missions trip. We were in this village and we got done doing late night church services. And uh, I love it, man. Down there, they're all, like a lot of the churches we work with, they're all Pentecostal. So they'll have five, six hours long services. And so we got done having service one night and even at nine, 10 o'clock at night, you're still gonna have some coffee. You're still gonna eat some, some bread and sit around and fellowship. But the pastor came to me, we're exhausted. You're like, all right, well, uh, you know, we'll, we're gonna start pretty early in the morning with breakfast uh, and we got a, a really special thing planned for you guys. I'm like, okay, great. He's like, all right, we'll see you at this house. He gave me instructions, we'll see you there at 4 a.m. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we showed up. And the guy, it was one of the members of the church, he took us around to the back part of his house. And, um, and there we saw over in the corner was standing lunch. A pig, a giant pig, a large pig. And he informed us excitedly at that point, hey, this is why we're up so early because we're gonna slaughter the pig and we're gonna prepare it. And that's gonna be lunch. And I'm like, awesome, sweet. And I knew like, this is a big deal. If, if they give up this, this that was a very expensive gift for them to give us. And so uh, it was fun watching a bunch of city kids, college students, never seen something like that as we slaughtered the pig and started preparing it. And in those cultures, when you prepare an animal like that, you eat everything. They're, they're like, including the intestines, like you clean everything out, you, you, there is a dish. But here's the thing, we started that process, uh, slaughtered it, started preparing it, all that, Around 8 a.m., uh, we had breakfast, like a full breakfast, like eggs and black beans and like tortillas, full breakfast. And then after that, I went back to helping do some more preparation with the pig. And then about an hour later, they brought out soup. So they thought we needed a snack. So we sat down and we had soup and had a snack, a couple bowls. Right after that, we went back to helping prepare more of the pig um, that led right up to lunch. Which is when we ate some of the pig, but left some of it because we're gonna eat the rest at dinner. Basically, we ate for 12 hours straight. 
We just, and, and here's the thing though, it wasn't about the food. Because during that day, we, we heard the pastor's testimony, his family, other people dropped by and shared their story. We just stayed there, built relationships, and nobody was thinking about the time or being in a rush. Now, I understand that that, that doesn't necessarily culturally work, but I think there is a lesson in there that we can learn that we've lost and how we approach it. It was meant to be a social occasion. In fact, in Middle Eastern culture, to this day, if somebody asks you or invites you to come and have a meal with them, it's actually an invitation into relationship. If someone says, I want you to have dinner with us, it's their, them saying, I'm, I'm open to having a friendship with you. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I think the word would reflect how big of a deal it is to God that we have these spaces where we commune. In Revelation 3, 20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open it, I will come in and we will share a what? A meal together as friends. I think that's interesting. It doesn't say, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open it, invite me in. I've got some stuff I wanna teach you. There's some things you need to be convicted about. There's some things that I need to instruct you on and equip you on. We, we've got some John Maxwell principles you need to understand. It just says, no, I wanna come in and, and hang out with you. Just eat with you. Like no agenda. I find that when I teach messages like this, I can feel cultural resistance in the room. Like, okay, preacher boy, great, great, yeah. Spend time, hang out, no agenda. Wrap this up. We got things to do, people to see, places to go. And that's the very reason why it's important that we open ourselves to what the Lord wants to teach us. Jesus just wants to eat with us, to linger around the table and spend time because in scripture over and over again, when it came to eating a meal was always representing intimacy. It's about being known and knowing the other. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of these moments that happen around the table, the meals that Jesus ate and the people he ate them with because there's a lot that we can learn. And I think interesting enough, these times around the table show us one of the main ways that Jesus lived out the mission that he had here on earth. It had all to do with these tables, these interactions, these meals. So we're gonna talk about one of those. Luke 5 is our main text today. We're gonna start in verse 27. If you've got your Bibles, Bible apps, let's read this together. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I, you know, I, this is a totally different message, but it's interesting to me that when Jesus called these disciples, they're all in the middle of their careers. They're all in the middle of doing what everyone else is doing and trying to provide for themselves, maybe for their family. And when Jesus called them, 
it says they immediately laid down everything and followed him. I think there needs to be a conviction in our heart that we have the same mentality when it comes to how the spirit leads us. Without hesitation, we will stop everything we're doing to be obedient to what he has for us. Then the Levi held a great banquet. Like right after that, left everything, followed Jesus. Then right after that, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax, tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the, his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So I think an important question, who does Jesus eat with? And if that's who Jesus eats with and we're the representation of Christ, how are we doing? Who are we inviting around the table? Like physically around the table, but just the table of our life, the table of our faith, the table of our testimony. Verse 29, Levi held a huge banquet and Jesus is the guest of honor. So Levi, by the way, is Matthew, same guy. A lot of the disciples got new names and they all had meaning. So Jesus just asked him to be a disciple and now he's gonna go have a meal with them. There's this old question, if you could eat dinner with any three people, past or present, who would it be? Who would it be? I want you to discuss that with your neighbor. I want you to tell them right now, if you could eat dinner with any three people, past or present, who would it be? Go ahead, talk. I'm just gonna stand here awkwardly till you do it. So come on, talk to each other, talk to each other. Who would it be? Tell them at least a couple of people. Who would you wanna eat dinner with? Some people might mention innovators. I think Elon Musk would be interesting to have dinner with. He's pretty eccentric, I think. Albert Einstein, maybe it might be a, a former president or a political figure or a military figure. Might be some famous person, famous athlete. What I find though, a lot of times, people will usually mention Jesus. A lot of people will mention Jesus. And that was the opportunity these guys have right here to eat with Jesus. What kind of of tables does Jesus like to eat around? One thing about this, Jesus loves big meals with lots of guests. Why? He held a banquet. So this is a huge feast, major spread, and he's pulled out all the stops. He's ordered the best food. He's got chicken and beef and fish, probably not pork because he's Jewish. How many guys are thankful for Jesus in the new covenant? Because I like myself some bacon, amen? Amen, glory, hallelujah. He's got everything else there. He's got mashed potatoes, fried potatoes, potato salad. I may like potatoes. Probably got some casseroles there. I know the Midwest tax collectors like themselves some casseroles. You gotta come over and have some casserole. <laughs> Midwest people like casseroles. <laughs> probably some Colton's rolls up in the house. Probably got all that. And he's got a, a full spread. And I believe that Jesus just liked to eat, right? 
And I think one of the reasons why he liked to eat, because he walked everywhere. The dude was always hungry, just like, I need calories, like bad. But we know that there's gonna be a lot of eating in heaven. Like the Bible talks about this, like this huge banquet, right? We know that because the Bible says, but we also know because audio adrenaline told us. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Where are my people at? Okay. Some of y'all are like, no, no, no idea what you're talking about. Go get yourself educated on Christian music, people. Audio adrenaline, never mind. Moving on. I believe in heaven, we'll get to eat all the time. And this is what I believe also, we can eat as much and whatever we want and we will never gain a pound, amen. We will have perfect metabolism. There will be Krispy Kreme donuts. The hot light will always be on. And we can eat that and never feel sick and just sit there and bask in the glory of God and the glory of that beautiful frosting on every one of those, mm. Anybody getting hungry? You're like, you had me at Colton's Rolls. (laughs) Jesus loved big meals. Why? Not necessarily because of the menu, but because of who's there. Matthew had this guest list a mile long. He's inviting everybody he knew. Then he said, hey, and then you guys invite everybody you know, but who did Levi know? Tax collectors. Tax collectors. So I want to look at a different version. This is how the Pharisees describe tax collectors. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Scum. Tax collectors. Like some of y'all might feel that way about the IRS. I get it. But in this culture, it was, these were the worst of the worst. These were people that had betrayed their country because tax collectors were collecting taxes for the Romans, the occupying governing authority. They were cruel, they were, they were mean. And so these were Jews taking money away from other Jews and giving it to the enemy. So they were hated, they were hated. Uh, but they also considered this like, you know, the worst kind of sin. And so religious people especially, they would be very careful to never share a meal with these people because they didn't want to hurt their standing or position or they didn't want to eat a meal with somebody that would affect their holiness. Can't have these unholy people around me. So they would choose their guest list very carefully. Like they would wanna eat with someone of high position and standing so that they would look good and they would be careful to never eat a meal with someone of lower class because that would make them look bad. But Jesus walks in, sits down at a table with this checkered guest list. You've got tax collectors, winos, gluttons, and sinners. And I imagine that Jesus walked right in and said, this is great. I love this. This is gonna be a blast. Why? Because Jesus loved spending time with broken people. Jesus knew that the only way that broken people can be healed and made whole and for their lives to change was to interact with them, get to know them. And the best way to do that was to get them to sit around a table with him and eat, fellowship. Harvard grad school did a study that lasted over 20 years on the impact of eating together as families around a table. 
And they did note that this had been in rapid decline over the last couple of decades because families, like so many of us, are too busy or too tired or they're working too much or too late, so it's hard to make dinner or there's just conflict and they want to avoid that or there's all the distractions. There's technology or it feels like, man, I just don't think my family even wants to eat together. Anybody ever felt that way about their teenager? They just don't want to be here at all. But here's the interesting thing. The study showed the opposite, that teens ranked family dinner time high on their list of things they like to do. 80% of teens say that family dinner time is the time of the day where they are most likely to talk to their parents. Yet only 30% of families eat together even a couple of times a week. Regular, regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, tobacco use, and early teen pregnancy. And the people that eat together have higher rates of resilience and self-esteem. It boosts confidence, it reduces depression, anxiety, it reduces destructive behavior. Who doesn't want that for their kid? I know I do. Research found that families that ate together three to five times a week showed the greatest results. How many of y'all know it's more than just about a table and food? Jesus loves for us to have these times together and loves for us to come and spend these times with him because he knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows that we are made and wired to be together. And Jesus loved big meals, though, because it means a lot of people could show up. And when a lot of people show up, it means a lot of problems show up. And Jesus absolutely loved to encounter people with big problems. Why? Because then he could show them big grace and big healing and big transformation could happen. In Luke 5, 31, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. And I think you should underline that. I think that that could be an issue, that think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, Jesus, the love of Jesus seeks out the worst among us. It goes out and finds sick and hurting, dying, lost people. And Jesus shares the table with anyone and everyone Who's, who wants to come, who's willing to come. And in so many of these instances, he saves the best seat, the place of honor for the worst person there, the person that needs him the most. And this is how I think that we should see New Life Church. And this is how I think every church should long to see themselves. If we're gonna represent Christ, who we invite to come to this table, should look like who Jesus liked having meals with. This is actually the mission of our church. This is our mission statement. And a lot of you have never even heard this. You've been here a long time and it's my fault, but this is our mission statement. We exist to bring our friends and family and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our mission statement. But we get our marching orders from the word of God. The Great Commission tells us, therefore, go. Everybody say go. Okay, you gotta start there. You gotta go first. 
if you're ever going to have a chance to do the rest of this and make disciples of all, everybody say all, all the nations, like not just the one, not just the people we like, not just the people we like to hang out with, not just the people that are comfortable, not just the people we have stuff in common with, not just the same people that have political views like we have or anything else. It's all, all the nations baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit starts with going and telling others. And then we invite them around this table that is our relationship with Jesus. And when they come in, they can receive Christ. They can get discipled. They can make a public declaration of their faith in God. And then they're gonna go out and they're gonna tell others and they're gonna invite them. And that's how this process is supposed to work. The truth is most of you, many of you, you're here because somebody invited you. Somebody invited you. And the truth is whoever invited you was probably invited by someone else and they were probably invited by someone else. And if you trace it back and connect it together, you're here because somebody invited somebody some 10, 11 years ago to come to this church. The issue is this, the world doesn't know the table even exists. We have to tell them about it. We're the physical representation we're the ones that have to do our part to invite them. And I feel like we don't have a lot of conviction around that sometimes. I stopped by a coffee shop this morning before I came to church and the people that work there, they, they know that I'm a pastor. And when I went in there, one of them asked me, it's like, so you feel good about today? I'm like, yeah, I think so. And they asked me, you ever get nervous? And I said, you know, it's hard to answer that question. The truth is I know that I'm called and so I'm confident that I'm called and I'm not nervous about that. But what I talk about has eternal consequences. It's heaven and hell and it's real. And so yes, there's a healthy fear every time I step in or onto that stage that the things I'm communicating can mean heaven or hell to people. And that part can make me nervous. The fact of the matter is, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, every single one of us should have that burden inside of them. And please don't lay it at my feet and don't lay it at the feet of pastors and people in the church. No, take up your cross and follow him and be people that invite people around the table. What does God's table look like? Because we need our table to look like that too. Our congregation should look like God's guest list. The prophet Isaiah talked about this. Chapter 25, verse six. In Jerusalem, the, Lord's the Lord of heaven's armies will sprout out a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It'll be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine. Some of you are like, amen to that, and choice meat. There's gonna be all kinds of people, all nations, all backgrounds, all colors, cultures, careers. God wants us to start that though and not wait for heaven. The Lord's prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done now. So we should be inviting them now. This should be our guest list. What I love it is when Jesus was invited to a dinner, he didn't double check the guest list. Well, I just wanna make sure there's not people there I don't wanna hang out with. 
that I don't wanna be associated with. That has to be who we are as a church too. People should show up no matter who they are and what they've got. But James, you may not know, but I, I, I came from a divorced family or I, I am divorced, my family's a wreck. Are you sure you want me here? We believe this, this is a place where people can find healing and restoration and even reconciliation in Jesus' name. You better believe we want you here. Pastor James, you don't know, I've got these things in my life, things in my past or things I'm still in the middle of because I struggle with porn or other sexual sins or lifestyles that I know that are contrary to the word of God. Are you sure you want me here? We believe that this can be a place of healing, forgiveness and repentance. Yes, absolutely, we want you here. You better believe it. James, I've got these addictions, or I'm still addicted to drugs and alcohol. We believe that he's a God that can deliver and heal anybody. We want you here. This needs to be a place that anybody feels like they're welcome. And it's also gonna be a place where we love them too much just to leave them there. We're gonna point them towards Jesus. We're gonna point them towards the truth and the balance of grace of his word. But absolutely, we want them here. We don't have prerequisites for attending New Life Church. Just get here. We want you here. We wanna help you if we can help you. We're gonna do everything we can just to help you encounter the presence of God because we know that that is what changes everything. And we'll watch as he transforms your life. We know that he is faithful. We know the Holy Spirit is good at his job. He will bring you to repentance. You will walk out that repentance. You will have transformation in your life and we will watch you worship God and we'll worship God with you because of what he's done. The second thing is this, Jesus loves it when we long to linger. There's some criticism that Jesus and the disciples faced in verse 33. One day, some of the people said to Jesus, John the Baptist, or this is in Luke, John the Baptist, disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? It's like right there, I'm like, I love being a disciple of Jesus. Come on now. Like this, this is awesome. In other words, why are you guys hanging out around each other so much? Why are you guys always just spending time building relationships with each other and with other people? I think as Christians, we should have the same reputation. We should have the reputation that it is clear and obvious that we've been hanging out at the table of Jesus because of how we love people, because of how we interact with a broken world. We should have that reputation. When we open the door to Jesus and he comes in to eat with us, he's not here to rush that process. Jesus is not gonna show up in devotional life with you with a bag of McDonald's saying, hey, we gotta do this and do this quick. Come on, eat up, eat up. He might show up with Chick-fil-A but you're gonna eat it slow. You're gonna savor it, every one of those juicy nuggets. Because there's some spiritual nuggets that he wants to give you as well. Okay, that's too far, that's. He's not gonna show up with a pad of paper saying, hey, I got a list of things we gotta work through. He's not gonna show up and, and say, hey, there's, you got some major issues and we need to check off some boxes. He might show up and say, you're gonna put aside your phone. I, give me your phone, give me your iPad, give me, your, give me all that stuff. We're gonna set that aside and you just need to hang out. Be with me. 
because God is way more about be than he is about do. It isn't that he doesn't expect works, but he knows works will be the byproduct of you being first. If you are around the presence of God, if you will spend time in relationship with him, I promise you good works will come forth because you won't be able to help it. But he is far more concerned with you being than you doing all the time. The disciples, it took them a while, but they figured that out. But do we have that figured out? The people we invite over for dinner are more important. This is true. Like in a literal sense, the people that we invite over, they're more important than the presentation or even how the food tastes or every part of your house being in perfect order. We're all guilty of this when we invite people over. Like, oh man, it's like like dinner. It's not just dinner. It's the whole thing. I'm gonna have to throw more stuff in that room that we always keep the door locked and closed on that nobody can see inside. But it's not about that. It's about lingering. It's about lingering. It's about spending time. It's the same way with God. Psalm 34, eight says this, test and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But the only way that we can do that is by savoring, just enjoying. The only way that we can tell that God is good and that other people will get to experience that God is good is by lingering at that table. Time and transparency are essential ingredients in the recipe of intimacy. You don't have it without it. And in your own devotional life and around spiritual things, you can settle for deep fried fast food spiritually. You can settle for that. And it'll do the same thing to you spiritually that it does to you physically. Deep fried fast food will leave you feeling unfulfilled, unhealthy, and feeling unsettled. And we're not gonna be that as a church. There are times even in my own devotional life, just being honest, when I will approach the word of God like a checklist. I got my Bible app, I got my Bible reading plan, and man, if you're anything like me, it's like, I like seeing checks in those boxes. I like how on my daily refresh, I've got this streak going, right? How many times, how many days have I been able to do this in a row? And I have been very guilty in the process. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when you can't linger. When the focus becomes about getting it done, rather than being, spending time with him. Here's some few, a few things I want you to consider, some practical steps. One, would you consider hosting an MTCD? What's an MTCD? A Matthew the Tax Collector dinner. Would you consider hosting a dinner, a meal, a time where you invite people that as far as you can tell, are not connected to the Lord, not connected to a local church, coworkers, neighbors, people that you interact with, would you consider hosting and just invite them over? And your only goal is to learn who they are and hear their story and build relationship. And maybe at some point as the Holy Spirit leads, you might even invite them to church. But the goal 
was to show them value and to show them that no matter who they are, God sees them, God loves them. Would you consider doing that? Another question is, who do you know that need to be invited around the table of our church that you're gonna invite to come around Easter to one of our resurrection services, that they might have a chance to hear the message and meet Jesus. Because here's the thing, as a church, we're gonna do the best we can to set an amazing table with a great spread. But just like Matthew, somebody's gotta take the responsibility to invite the guest. Please don't lay that at our feet. We'll have yard signs, we'll have all of that, but I, I will change your perspective on kingdom and eternity when you start taking personal ownership to go and actually personally invite someone to come to the table, to be a part of it. And then the other thing I'd ask you to consider is this, this week in your personal time with God, can you commit to spending time to linger? Look, I know that you can't just put life on pause. I know that we all have responsibilities, but I also know this. Every one of us could get up a little earlier. Even 15 minutes dedicated to lingering in the presence of God could transform your whole life. Or if you're not a morning person, probably all of us could watch one less episode or not watch the whole episode and spend some time with them in the evening and just linger. Uh, because if you will do that, the presence of God transforms everything and the world around us is desperate and in need of, of not just a church that's busy about doing, but it's so clear that they've been around the table of Jesus. That's what the world needs. They're longing for a place to belong. They're longing for a place to find purpose and identity. And, and we can't give them anything that we don't understand ourselves. And we don't want people to have a false representation of what Christ would have for them. And I think it would be a false representation if we present that being a Christian is not a whole lot different than the rest of the world, except we go to church on Sundays. It's gotta be more, amen? Close your eyes, bow your heads. So one of the things I wanna point back to is that translation that says that Jesus didn't come for those who think they are righteous. And... I just feel that there might be a few people in this room even now that maybe even the enemy has deceived you into thinking that your self-righteousness is what saves you. Like your ability to be good, your ability to do good things, your ability to do Christian things, your ability to attend church, even have a reading plan, all those things that you think I've checked the boxes for salvation, but it really is self-righteousness. And the reality is you have never truly experienced an intimate 
personal relationship with Jesus. You haven't experienced his joy. You haven't experienced his peace. You haven't experienced his conviction. You haven't experienced godly sorrow that leads to that repentance. There's still things that you hold on to. There's still things that you struggle with because you haven't actually made him Lord. And you're leaning into your own self-righteousness. I know only the Holy Spirit can peel back the layers of that and show you that you've missed it. But I'm praying that he does that right now. You can't waste any more time thinking that it's about your righteousness. It's not about what you can do. It's all about what he did. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. All you can do is accept it. But there are also some people that you just don't have a relationship with him. You've just never stepped into that. You've never just opened your heart. But right now you, you can sense that he's telling you that it's time. It's time and he loves you. And you can come as you are. Some of you, the problem is you never would believe that God would have you on his guest list. But you've always been on it. Because all of us at one point or another, we were, we were just kids that were lost. We were away from him. He's always wanted us just to come home to him. And if you're here and you know that you've never surrendered to him, you've never asked him to come into your life, transform you. Now I'd love to pray with you right now. I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough and humble enough to admit that it's you, just to say it's me. The word says that if you will confess that you need Jesus and believe in your heart, then you can be saved. And I'm gonna ask you to confess it. If that's you, nobody's looking around, but I wanna pray for you. I want you to put your hand up right now. If you know you need to call on Jesus, you're away from him, you're lost. You've been depending on your own self-righteousness and you need him. Thank you, sir. Got it. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, guys. Got you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus. I'm ready to surrender. I don't want to have control. I don't want to be the Lord of my life. Thank you. Anyone else? Whoo. Man, God's working in this room. It's not even just about salvation right now. It's this realization that you've been approaching this whole thing with God the wrong way and you thought it was about doing and you thought it was about working your way and you realize that man, he's always just wanted to be with me. Anyone else though, you need to call on Jesus right now. Your Lord and Savior, you're away from him. Thank you. You know you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can just say a prayer like this. You can just repeat this. You can repeat it in a whisper. You can repeat it loud. You can repeat it in your own heart. Just say this, say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I'm not good. You're the only one that's good. 
And thank you for paying the price on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. And when you rose from the grave, you defeated death and sin so that I have the hope of heaven, but so that I can fulfill your purpose here and now. But I know the only way that I'm gonna be able to see that is if I'm completely surrendered to you. And so I do, I surrender to you now. Be my Lord. I stop, I turn away. Living for myself, living for the world, I wanna live for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, right now in this room, we wanna linger. Some of us for the first time are hearing you knocking. We thought that we've been walking with you our whole life, but we're just now hearing. And we're gonna open that door and we just want you to come in. We don't have an agenda, we don't have, we just want you to come in. We need you desperately.